Well, thank you so very much for gathering with us today. Uh, we really are grateful that you're here. Um, what if I told you that as an expression of our thanks, we're going to have uh, a drawing today. Uh, at, actually going to do it at the, at the end of, of, uh, of the service. And we're going to give away uh, a chief's jersey at each campus today. That'd be all right? Now, they're not new jerseys. What if I told you they're not new jerseys? They've actually been worn before. But what if I told you that all three of them were actually worn by Chiefs players, like in a real NFL game? And what if I told you that one of those three jerseys actually has a one and a five on it, as in an, an NFL MVP. That'd be cool. Yeah, it would. <laughs> but we don't really have that. We don't really have that. But I actually think I have something better for you. And I'm okay with the fact that some of you inside just went, yeah, right. I'm okay with that. Today we are wrapping up a talk series called More. It is about him who is able to do immeasurably more. More than all we can ask or imagine, but it is according to his power that is at work in us. More, we've discovered, is about the power to know that Jesus is more. Whatever you want to attach to that phrase, Jesus is more. And, and out of that, God able to do more than we would ever imagine. So I, I'm just convinced this is so key to what it means to be the church. And honestly, we don't want to just really limit this to a series. The reason we did this talk series is because we want more to actually be the theme for Heart of Life for 2020. We want this to be our theme as we walk out this next year. My question is, what if Paul's prayer for that original group of people in Ephesus became our prayer for the Heart of Life Church? What if out of us knowing how much he loves us, God could then do immeasurably more through his church, for his greatness, more than we could ever even know how to ask for. Let me show you what we've got today. Um, as we walk through this, we got an outline for you today. Did you get an outline? I hope that you got, got an outline. It should have been uh, with your worship guide today, by, by outline, I mean that there, there are some uh, opportunities for you to fill in some blanks. Um, I, I'll be authentic with you today. I don't like outlines. I don't. And the reason is because at the end of every talk, then somebody's going to tell me the one blank that I didn't give them, right? That's, that's kind of how it works. But he, hey, I, I'm okay with doing outlines if it helps us to retain 
what we're, what we're trying to dig into today. So there's an outline for you. I encourage you to use it. Fill in a few blanks, take a few notes. Um, while we're saying that, I want to say hi to the Adrian campus. Hope that you guys are having a, a, a great morning. I know that uh, things are going pretty well for you right now. Um, I want to encourage you every once in a while, put down the fork, pick up a pen, and fill in a few blanks with us, all right? Everybody in this room just went, fork, all right? We'll just leave it at that. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 6. Here's what we got today. Check out verse 10. Finally, so you can tell Paul's getting to the end of the book, the end of the letter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We have talked power all the way through this book. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. See, the Apostle Paul wants to remind us that the enemy you think you have is not really your enemy. The enemy that you think you have, maybe the one that lives on your street, and you and they have butted heads for years. Maybe the one in your class, the one that bullies you. Maybe the one in your office. I, I'm saying whatever setting that looks like, Paul says, do you understand that's not your real enemy? There is an invisible enemy, and he is banking on the fact that you will not even realize he's there. He's disguised behind the, the tangible, physical problems of your life so that you don't see that he is really the one who is, who is influencing some of the most difficult circumstances in your life, in the life of your family, in the life of, of our nation, in, in the, actually in our world. He's behind it. He is real, and he's banking that you won't even see him. Paul says, you need to know. There is always something you cannot see controlling what you can see. There is always something you cannot see that's actually controlling what you can see. So when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your time struggle, what we are often just dealing with in those circumstances are symptoms. They are symptoms. And Paul's saying if we pull back the curtain, he's saying I want you to realize that there is really something much more behind all this. You think the problem with your marriage is your spouse but your spouse isn't the enemy. You think the problem is your money, but, but 
often the problem with the money is because you have bought into some lies from the enemy. And so he pulls back the curtain and he says, there's an enemy who lives to stir up division, stir up jealousy, stir up envy so that you have no peace. You need to know. And he says, you also need to know that when it comes to this enemy, he is scheming against you. This is an enemy who is scheming against you. Now, if I find out that someone has done something wrong toward me, I'd be hurt. We all get hurt. But I'll be okay. You know what I mean? I'll get through that. I'll be okay. Because come on, we, we, have, we have all at some point in our life hurt somebody else. And then a lot of times we might have regretted what we said or what we did. I'm saying we all have been there, so we all kind of understand that there are a whole bunch of reasons sometimes that people hurt us. So if somebody hurts me, it's like it'll hurt, but I, I can get through that. But if someone is scheming against me, do you understand the difference in that? If there is someone who is actually implementing a strategy to try to hurt me, like somebody who's actually looking at my tendencies, my patterns, my weaknesses, just looking for the opportunity to take me out, scheming. And then if I throw on top of that, he's also scheming against my wife. He is scheming, wanting her to fear, wanting her to doubt, wanting her to feel insignificant, wanting to explore her weaknesses to tempt her heart away from me. And then he's scheming against my kids, wanting to move them away from their destiny that, that God has given them, and he, and he wants their hearts to be owned by temporary things rather than things that are eternal? Can I tell you, that makes me mad. And, and I'm going to go ahead and call it what, what I, I think is a holy anger. I think it's an appropriate anger. To be hurt by someone is one thing, but to be schemed against, and not just me, but my wife and my kids, I'm telling you, if I see that happening, I'm not going to let you run over my family. But if I don't see it, you know what happens? Sometimes I end up fighting my family. But by God's design, he says he can enable us to see our enemy and to fight against an enemy's schemes, not in our own power, but in God's power. So he says, you need to know, you need to know God's family can stand, write it down, in the armor of God. God's family can stand in the armor of God. Paul says, we're going to see who is really behind all of this. 
We're, we're, we're not going to start blaming people who aren't really our enemies. Yes, those hurts are real. Yes, those struggles are real. But they are real because they are initiated, they are instigated but, but from one who wants to destroy us. And you know what? We're not just going to take it. We are going to learn to fight, and we're going to start fighting with some weapons that actually work. Let me read a little more of what those look like. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in its place, and with your feet, because you, you need something for your feet, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul says you need to know. You need to know God's family can stand in the armor of God. Now, when Paul uses the term armor, you realize those first century uh, believers, there were Roman soldiers everywhere, right? Everywhere they moved, they, they would see Roman soldiers. And so when he says armor, they know what armor looks like. But there's also something else going on here when Paul uses this phrase. You see, when someone in, in the first century would put their trust in Jesus, when they, would, when they would turn to him seeing who he is as, as a savior and king, and they would put their trust in him, when they meet Jesus, immediately they would begin to study what we call the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament is the first part of your Bible, right? It's all those things that are written down but before Jesus appears on the scene. Why would they study the Old Testament, not the New Testament? Well, they were the New Testament. They are literally living out what got recorded so that now we read the New Testament, all right? But they're studying the Old Testament because the Old Testament is like a spotlight that pointed to Jesus all along. Well, those believers, when they studied the Old Testament, they knew about passages like Isaiah 59. And in Isaiah 59, the prophet Isaiah paints a picture of God as a divine warrior with armor. You can read it for yourself this week. He paints a picture of God as a divine armor, as a divine uh, warrior who, who has this armor, specifically righteousness as a breastplate, truth as a belt around his waist and with salvation as a helmet on his head. Now that's Isaiah 59. But here's the, here's, here's the, the, when God comes as a warrior in Isaiah 59, he comes as a warrior against his own people because of their rebellion against God. So here's what I want to make sure we don't miss today. When Paul says, you got this armor. Can we start to grasp the fact 
that the same armor that God used in the Old Testament against his people because of their rebellion, the same armor that God is seen wearing in the Old Testament, now because of the cross of Jesus, that same armor is now given to you and I who put our trust in him as a gift to stand against the schemes of the enemy that wants to wipe us out. That's cool. In other words, what we have been given in this armor to stand against an enemy, this is not some second-hand, second-rate stuff. When we read this is the armor of God, can we understand today this is the armor of God? If you don't know you have a real enemy, if you don't know he wants to destroy you and your family, then you will tend to get more excited over a chief's jersey than the fact that God himself has given you his own armor that he wore himself in battle. That's good stuff. For much of my life, I read Ephesians chapter 6, and I thought the armor of God, it almost seemed like this thing out there, it's the armor of God. It's his. So let's talk about just a couple of pieces, because we can't talk about them all today, all right? One of these days, we'll do another. We've done a series along the way, but today we can't talk about them all, but I'm going to give you, we're just going to talk about a couple, all right? Let's talk about one piece of the armor of God he calls it a belt of truth. A belt of truth. Now, honestly, if you're going to start naming pieces of armor, at first glance, it would seem a little weird that you would start with the belt because the belt isn't really what you would see first. If you're looking at a Roman soldier, you're probably going to see something like his helmet, right? Maybe you're going to see a sword. That would tend to catch your eye. Maybe even a shield, but you're not really going to see the belt. But it's interesting that Paul starts with that which might not be most obvious, but he starts with the piece of armor that a soldier would put on first. A Roman soldier would put on this belt of, uh, of and he calls it truth, but a belt would be put on by an actual soldier because all the other pieces in some way tended to attach to the belt. In other words, without the belt, none of the other stuff is going to stay in place very long and certainly not in battle. And so Paul says, if you're going to stand, if you're going to stand against an enemy's schemes, come on, this is real. He wants, to, he wants to destroy you. An enemy, he is not there to try to mess you up. He's there to take you out. And if you're going to stand against his schemes and you're going to fight, he says, you first must be committed to the truth of God. You've got to be committed to his word. This is so important because the enemy's major calling card is deception. Our enemy is called the father of lies. When he speaks, he lies. It's his whole game. His whole game is to deceive well, do you know that embedded 
in deception is a blinding agent. Do you know that? Embedded, embedded in deception is a blinding agent. Here's what I mean by that. You can't see it. Lots of times when you're in the middle of it and deception, you, you, you can't see it. But isn't it funny how everybody else can kind of see it? Isn't it funny how when somebody's going through something like that and everybody else is stepping back going, if that dude takes one more step, he's going to find himself in a pit. And everybody can see it, but, but the one who is in the middle of it tend, tend not to see it. Come on, you've been there when you had a friend who's looking you in the eye, telling you about the next step that they're about to take and why it is so good for them and why they need to be in this particular relationship and how it makes them happy and how they think this is what God wants. And all the while they're talking, your eyebrows, at least on the inside, are, are getting higher and higher and higher. And the reason is because you can see, but they can't see it. And most of us don't even need to rely on stories of friends, right? Because most of us can look back to some season of our life and admit, I didn't see it. I didn't see the game he was playing with me. I didn't see the scheme that was against me. And we remember deception. That's why... You must have a standard outside of yourself. You have to have a standard outside of you because you can't see it. There was a, a movie um, quite some time ago that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was in. Uh, it, it, was, it was called Inception, right? And I'm not recommending it as always. I'm just telling you the story because it helps us today. His character is in the real world. But while he's in the real world, he will dream. The problem is in his dream, the solutions and the decisions that he makes, they don't work because he's in a dream world. Well, add to that sometimes... In his dream, while he's dreaming, he will dream. So he's two layers deep. And everything seems so real while he's dreaming and dreaming and he's trying to make decisions and trying to make moves and nothing works because it's, it's, it's in a dream world. It's not in the real world. And then add, add one more thing to that. Sometimes when he's dreaming, and then he's dreaming in the dreaming. Sometimes he will dream in the dream. And he's three layers deep in this thing, and it looks so real. It seems so real, but he, every decision he makes, it just doesn't work. And so eventually he finds a solution, and everywhere he goes, he will bring a top, what we call a top, a spinning top. And whatever circumstance he's in, he will spin the top. And if the top just keeps spinning, 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 then he knows he's in a dream because gravity is not having any effect on the top. But if he spins the top and eventually it begins to wear down and eventually the, the, the top stops, then he knows he's actually in the real world. That image for me 
of a guy who no longer leans simply to his own understanding of what's going on around him. He, he no longer just believes because he perceives something to be the, the, the true reality. He has learned to stop believing only in what he can see at surface value, only what he can hear at surface value. He has learned that you better have some objective standard, in his case, the top. It better be outside yourself. You see, your enemy hopes that you will simply trust how you feel. He loves playing that game with you. Just trust how you feel about a given circumstance. Just trust how you feel, right? What you, what, just take it at, at face value, whatever you imagine, right? We don't ever want to be the church that believes certain things based on how we feel the culture will see us. We don't ever want to be the church that takes stands in order that it makes everybody happy with us. No, we, we want to be the church that believes certain things because they are the things that God says are true. That means for some of you who are university students, there really may be days that you are standing alone in a classroom. For some of you who high school students, everybody may not be your friend. The right people may not be your friend. Paul's saying whatever it costs though, you commit to God's word. Can I give you a warning before we move past this? Just because you study the Bible does not mean you have made a commitment to it. We need to hear that. Just because you study the Bible does not mean that you have made a commitment to it. You can hear it, you can take notes on it, you can even applaud it. But until you begin to stand with it, until you begin to obey it, then you're not really committed to it. Y'all, sometimes we got to stand in places that are not politically correct when they are in opposition to what God says is the place we should stand. Sometimes we got we to gotta stand in some places that may not even be socially acceptable. Because we sometimes have to stand alone against this just a, a word of new openness of thinking. No, we pledge our allegiance to our God. We don't want to just celebrate truth on a Sunday. We want it tied like a belt around our waist that affects every part of our I think that's why Paul starts with a belt of truth. So let me give you one more piece and show you something. The second piece, the armor of God, is what he calls a breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate of righteousness. Now, when you hear the word righteousness, you, you at least out of that, you get the word right. 
right? So, so we understand that this has something to do with connected to, to living right, but how do we even know what that is? If we leave it to our own, how do we know what there is? Well, we know that righteousness is choosing. I think we got it. Righteousness is choosing to live by God's spirit in line with God's word. He is the one who determines what is right. He is the one who defines what righteousness is. Maybe I can give you this, this imagery helps for me. You ever, you ever had to turn something over, like a literal object? You gotta turn it over, but when you turn it over, you know there's a chance that underneath there's something. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, for some of you maybe, it's, it's like an aluminum boat on the bank of the pond. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? You go to a pond and sometimes you just fish off the bank, but every once in a while you just kind of want to push out from the bank and, and, and you, you want to fish out in the middle a little bit. Well, lots of times people will put an aluminum boat on the bank, right? You just drag it up on the bank, but you don't put the aluminum boat up, right? Because when it rains and everything else, it fills up the boat. Typically, you turn the aluminum boat over, right? And so if you want to use the, uh, the boat, you, you, you got to turn it over. Can we recognize that boat upside down is an environment with an invitation? It's damp. It's usually a little cooler. It's usually a shaded place for maybe things that hop or things that waddle or things that what? Yeah. And before you turn that boat over, you're like, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is upside down behavior that creates an environment that invites your enemy to make himself at home. You don't even have to invite him. You don't have to invite him in. The, the environment alone is an invitation enough for him. And if we were just talking about aluminum boats, okay. But when we're talking about righteousness, do you understand righteousness is about the heart? It's about the heart. Real quick. I'll try to do this without tearing up my microphone. We have some images in our day, I think, that help us when we're thinking about a, a breastplate of righteousness. Um, these things are heavy, by the way. They're heavy. And especially when you get all the gear loaded in and if they're actually, when they put the plates in and, and all that stuff and you wear an armored vest, it, it, it's heavy. But you want it to be heavy, because what are you protecting? <laughs> you're protecting the stuff that's vital, right? You're, you're protecting the things like the heart. Well, I can tell you that for a Roman soldier, for soldiers in that day, they, they weighed, when it came to a breastplate of righteousness, it was a whole lot more than these. Some, some of their armor would weigh some 70 pounds. 
and a lot of the weight was often attached to the breastplate, but the reason was there was vital stuff there that really needs to be protected. They didn't have technology that could make it light, and, and so they, you, you just had to protect. Because come on, if you take a shot to the heart, it doesn't matter how smart you are as a soldier, doesn't matter how strong you are as a soldier, doesn't matter how experienced you are as a soldier, you take a blow to the heart, you're done. And I'm telling you, that's why the enemy tempts you to unrighteousness because he knows one shot to your heart and no matter how smart you think you are, no matter how strong you think you are, no matter how experienced you think you are, one shot to the vital organ. He just wants people, he just wants people to say they believe, but without righteousness. Now, I need to make sure we understand here. We need righteousness, but we, you, cannot attain righteousness. We need to make sure we understand that. We need it, but we cannot attain it. The righteousness of God, you, you and I can't reach that. And if all that weight had to be on our shoulders. Like you think about a Roman soldier, if all the weight of the breastplate had to be on his, soul, on his shoulders, I'm telling you, he would be exhausted before he ever got to battle. But here's an interesting fact. A part of the job of the belt, remember the belt? A part of the job of the belt is that breastplate would actually attach to the belt and it would take some of the weight off his shoulders. Does that make sense? Some of you wear, like, you, some of you may go hiking or something like that, and you know how a backpack works. A backpack doesn't just have shoulder straps. The good backpacks also have a belt that goes around your waist, and you make that thing fit in such a way to when you're hiking, when you're climbing a mountain, you don't want all the weight on your shoulders. You want some of that weight to be able to rest on your hips. It enables you to actually carry it. But if you're trying to carry your own righteousness, it's why you feel what you feel, because it's too much for you to carry. Can I tell you that if the enemy can't shackle you to sin, then he will shackle you to perfection. And what I mean by perfection is perfectionism. If an enemy can't tie you down, if he can't chain you with things like addiction that, that keep you beat up and, and, and struggling, if he, can't, if he can't get at you from sin, then he will come at you hoping that you believe that if you just keep trying, if you just keep working, that somehow, someday, you could be good enough that God would love you. Somehow you could earn it. Somehow you could do enough that, that somehow God would see you worthy. Because the enemy knows that the, the righteousness of God, it is too high a standard, right? It's, it's like the ceiling in this, this room for, for even those at, at Adrian. Think about the, the ceiling in the room in which you are, you are seated. You, none of us can get to that. You can't jump and touch that. Now, there's a bunch of you in this room who could get a lot closer than me. But even the best of the best athletes in this room 
you come up short. It doesn't matter that you can jump higher than us. You can't reach it. We all fall short of the greatness of our God. We all fall short of his righteousness. But can I tell you that there is a truth. There is a truth that takes the weight of righteousness off our shoulders. It is this truth. Jesus, the Son of God, came and died for our sin. He took our sin upon himself, died upon a cross, buried, but three days later, he came walking out of a grave. And the thing we celebrate today is that our Jesus, it is alive. He is alive. And when we put our faith in him, when we put our trust in him, listen, he does not just remove our sin. Now, come on, that's a big deal. I know all I've done. You know what you've done. If we put that together in this room, just the amount of guilt, the heaviness, the weight of all the junk that we have done, he died for us. He, in response to our faith, his grace, he forgives our sin. But y'all, that's not the whole story. Not only does he forgive our sin, but he also deposits his righteousness in us. Here's how, here's how he writes to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, God made him who had no sin. Who's that? Who's the only one who had no sin? That's Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Around here we call that the beautiful exchange. Because of a cross and a resurrection, my faith in Jesus, he is willing to take my sin upon himself and in return deposit his righteousness in me. That the Bible says that from now on, when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his son. I'm not walking around with all the weight of righteousness on my shoulders because there is a belt of truth that has taken that weight off of me when Jesus took it all at the cross. It's in you. His righteousness is in you. Paul's just saying now, it's time for it to be on you. It's time for it to be seen. It's time for you to live it out. And then he concludes with this verse, and we're done. Here's what he says, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And what? What? Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. One more thing you need to know. If you want victory, then pray. Prayer is a key. It's like a key that unlocks the heavens. But listen to what I'm about to say. I know it's the last blank, but listen to what I'm about to say. When you pray... This is not about manipulating God into what you want him to do. Prayer is not about talking God into what you want him to do. 
Prayer is about accessing what God already has for you. If you want victory in your marriage, pray. Pray. Your heart needs to be connected to the heart of God. You need to hear his voice. You need his spirit at work within you. You you want your marriage to be great? Pray. You struggling? School? Pray. If we say we want victory but we don't pray, I'm not sure we really want victory. Because prayer is about a relationship. I think it was John Piper that I heard make this statement. He said, you realize one of these days, you and I, we really are going to give an account for how we lived our life. You know that? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm saying for those of us who have been forgiven even, and we're not talking about a, a judgment of, of whether or not we, but we're going to give an account of what we have done. And he said, I believe on that day, things like Twitter and Facebook are going to be the evidence that stands against us because they prove we did have time to pray. So some of us are really mad at God because he hasn't healed our marriage. And some of us are really mad at God because he hasn't worked out some problem in our school or our work. Some of us are really mad at God. But the fact is, some of us haven't even really talked to God yet. I encourage you, pray. You want victory? Let the church pray. So today, in light of what we have just learned, in light of what we have been confronted with, how about we spend a few minutes and we pray? I'm going to invite you just to feel free to bow your head if you want to. You certainly don't have to, but a lot of the reason that we sometimes bow our head is just to help us focus. It's just to get our eyes off of everything else and just to try to help us heart connection with God. Some of you really are fighting some tremendous battles. Some of you have stuff going on in families. Some of you have stuff going on with your work, some finances, some health, all kinds of struggles represented in this room. And what we have just walked through in the last six weeks is the truth that we're talking about a God who has the power to do more than we can even ask or imagine. But some of us haven't even really asked him yet. I'll warn you that when you begin to talk to him, sometimes we realize that what we're asking for wasn't even the best thing that we should have asked for. But, but you don't find that out until you connect to his heart and God begins to speak. And sometimes he's gonna show you peace in the midst of that struggle, just like we saw happen with Paul. So I'm just gonna give you a few minutes. I'm just gonna be quiet and just encourage you to pray. You don't have to pray out loud. It can be from your heart to God, but... Maybe it's time to start the conversation and maybe it's time to ask him to give you enough 
enough eyes to see the real battle going on around you and to stop just letting the enemy walk over you. It's time to fight. It's time to fight. I want to encourage you to start that conversation with God now, and then I'll pray for us in just a second. Then we're going to sing a little bit. There's an opportunity. There'll be some people on the wall over here to this side. If you need prayer today, we'd be honored to do that. Let's pray. God, give us eyes that can see. To understand that prayer is not something that you call us to, as though it's some hoop to jump through, to earn your favor, to get you to do what we're trying to get you to do. But it is literally the opportunity to have conversation, a relationship with you, our God, who not only made us to know you, but the God who has been willing to go so far that you would remake us to be able to know you. So God, would you help us to understand the value to pray? God, we got, we got some people who are fighting in their marriage and their spouse isn't even the enemy. We got some families who are fighting among one another. There's unforgiveness. And they're not even the real enemy. God, for some it may be neighbors, could be coworkers, could be teammates, classmates, God. I'm praying today that you give us eyes that could see who the real enemy is and that he is not here just to trip us up. He's here to take us out. But we get to stand in your armor. And if there is one thing that I'm asking you to help us to see today, it's your armor. This is your armor that you place on us and you give us power to fight. God, would you stir some anger in some folks today to be willing to fight against an enemy who has been scheming to destroy their family, scheming to destroy their life, would you create enough holy anger in us today that there will be some people who begin to fight the real enemy? God, we ask for victory, knowing that it is not our power. 
It is your power that is at work within us. In the name of Jesus, I am asking for healing. I am asking for forgiveness. I am asking for restoration. It's your power. And God, I ask today that your people might see. And it's in the name of Jesus that we ask it.